0: So, today, as I said, we're going we're to have an opportunity to dialogue a bit as a community. Um, we're finishing up our series that we've been doing for the last six weeks, our first uh, sermon series of the new year. If you can believe it, we are already in the second half of February here, which just seems like uh, absolutely outrageous. Second half of February, 2024. Um, and uh, we decided to do our first series on a passage out of Matthew um, that talks about the narrow way that Jesus calls us to and the wide path that leads to destruction. The wide path to destruction, it's an easy one to fall onto. It's the easier path to walk on. And the narrow way, which implies a more difficult path. But that's the path that leads to life. Uh, One of the things I truly appreciate about the way Jesus taught and teaches us is this kind of realism, this reality check method. Um, There are things about our faith uh, and the way that God calls us to live that are not easy. Some of those ways are not even intuitive, and Jesus is very gentle with us in calling those moments out rather than kind of giving us a false expectation that the moment you believe it all just gets easy from that point on. And so this is one of his teachings uh, on that topic. Um, we've talked about how sin is associated with the wide path, um, that our iniquity and our sin can get in the way of our obedience, can get in the way of the gifts that God has given us. Uh, although they are the easier way to live our life. And yet there's this redeeming and merciful moment, even in the midst of our sin as we reckon with that sin, where we can see the mercy and the love and the grace of God more clearly when we are aware of those sinful things inside of us. Uh, We talked about the prodigal son. Uh, and how he better understood the father's heart and the father's love for him because he went away, because he blew it all and, and spent all his money and had to come back begging to just be a servant in the father's house for him to then be embraced and loved, to have a ring put on his finger and sandals on his feet. He better understood from that moment forward how deep the father's love ran for him. And there's something similar that happens in our lives when we're honest with ourselves about where we're broken, Uh, And where we're sinful, it doesn't just have to be something that beats us over the head and leaves us miserable for the rest of our lives. There's a joyful revelation that can come from that point when you realize how much God loves us, even despite those things. And then we talked about holiness, which can be a scary and intimidating word sometimes. That narrow path, that path towards righteousness, and what it means to be set apart by the creator with a purpose from the beginning. To be a people in the midst of the world. To bring his love and his light and his spirit that there is a call on each and every one of us to be a representative of his kingdom in the world around us and in our families and in our relationships, that you were created with purpose. You're not accidental. You're not just a coincidence of genetics. There is a purpose created for every one of us, and that holiness, that being set apart, is a part of that narrow path that he calls us. To embody, and then we talked about the kind of the up in and out triangle. I actually should have put that up there, but if you guys can visualize that great high definition image, we think of our journey with Jesus as disciples in three contexts. There's the personal devotional life. This is our one-on-one relationship with Jesus. This follows us everywhere we go, uh, in in our bedroom at night, out in the city when we're driving, wherever we are. We are in the middle of that one-on-one relationship with Jesus, and there are some expressions and movements between us and, and God. In that context, our reading of the word, sitting in stillness, like we did. We can do that communally, but you can always do that alone in your home or when you have a quiet moment. Worship and praise is a part of that connection and that conversation with God. Uh, There's that devotional context that Jesus teaches us in, and there's a narrow way to walk through that. And then there's the inward journey, which is the fellowship of believers, the fellowship of the church, where there are certain securities and protections here, right? We're here with a common belief and desire. We're pursuing a common God um, and we're, we're a safer space, ideally, I mean, I know things go wrong sometimes, but the idea is that there's a safety net here in our community where we can develop, where we can be honest with one another about kind of our jagged edges and the, and the sharp things that need to be knocked off of us and smoothed over. There's a safety here in community, and there's a challenge here, because the moment you move into community, some things start to happen that don't happen when you're alone. You know, the the things that annoy you about other people start to become apparent. Uh, You're going to fail one another. You're going to offend one another. You're going to get on each other's nerves. That doesn't happen when you're alone. But when we're together, we risk those things. And those things offer an opportunity to be formed and shaped in those trials and in those places. You don't have to show someone grace until you're with someone Who calls that out of you. When you're alone, you don't have to show anybody grace. But God wants to forge grace and love and kindness and gentleness in us. And so many of those things he calls us to are relational dynamics. Uh, A lot of the commandments come in the form of the one another's. Be kind to one another. Bear one another's burdens. And to do the one another's, we have to be with one another. That's the inward journey of discipleship. And then finally, there's this outward journey of discipleship. Now, these first two steps are essential to our life, but there's almost this climactic movement when suddenly Jesus takes us, having formed us and uh, shaped us. And even in the midst of that process, he turns us outwards and reminds us there's a whole world out there. There's a whole world of people uh, who need his presence and his spirit and we have been made and called to carry those things into the world with us. They need the loving kindness that he is forging inside of you. And when you walk in the world, you bring him to the world in that way. There's, there's this dynamic and when Jesus provides for us and shapes us. It's not just for us. There are other people who are in need. He's almost never doing something just for our sake. He is almost always doing something because our lives intersect with dozens and hundreds of other lives. And I'm sure each and every one of you can think of a moment when you really failed somebody and they were gracious with you, and what a difference that made to your day. Or when you felt alone and somebody came up and told you they see you, where you are in that context, what a difference that can make. That's exactly the kind of opportunity God is giving all of us as we step out into the world. That's the world of mission, to bring love and advocacy and to do the possible from the provision that God has given us. So that's been our series. Why did we we start there? Why make that the first series of the new year? Well, in a very real sense, it's because that lays, it refreshes a foundation for us that we will build on all year long. All the messages, all the studies, all the activities that we invite you into in the city will build on this idea that we are called by Jesus to follow him, to follow in the steps of our rabbi, of our teacher, and to do the work that he does. The Great Commission, as we talked about, Calls the disciples to go and teach what Jesus taught them, to go and teach that to others, to go make more disciples, to kind of replicate and push all of that out into the world. And so as we follow him, we can expect to be doing the things he did to love the unlovable, to see the unseen, to have mercy on those who don't deserve it, to pour out generously from our provision, whether or not anybody thinks a person deserves it from us, to just be generous to forgive those who have wronged us, even if they don't deserve, in our opinion, that forgiveness. And to remember that before we did any of this, Jesus did it for us first. So it seemed good to lay that foundation for us here at the beginning of the brand new year and then build on that from this point forward. Yesterday, or yesterday, wow, (laughs) last Sunday, Uh, At the end of the service, I brought up uh, dear brother Joe to talk to us uh, about a specific um, example of doing the possible in the city. Uh, And we're going to bring Joe back up to answer some questions. This is an opportunity here to have some talk back. Uh, If there is anything over the last six weeks that was confusing or that you want to hear a little bit more about, um, if you'd like to hear some real-world examples of some of this stuff, it's really easy to get academic about some of this stuff, where it's just ideology, but where does it plug into what's really happening in my midst? Um, if you have any questions at all about the last six weeks, uh, we'd love to have the opportunity to answer those and dialogue about those as a community. So we're going to call up Joe, uh, dear brother, and Erica Tuggle, uh, one of our teenage ministers, uh, teenager ministers here, uh, to come forward and offer some varying perspectives um, from their experiences as well. I think, yes, indeed. And there is a phone number up there uh, for you to text. Um, I've brought some of my own questions because I'd love to hear some stories uh, from these two as well. But if and as you've got a question uh, that you'd love to hear uh, any of us answer or all of us answer um, or just like the dialogue on as a congregation, uh, feel free to shoot a text message uh, to that number. But I thought I would just start out by handing the mic to uh, Erica and Joe and just maybe just a brief introduction. Uh, who you are, what you do, um, how you came to the Vineyard, and, and just whatever comes to mind.
1: <laughs> uh, my name is Erica, uh, and me and my husband were the youth leaders here um, at the Vineyard. We've been here um, <clears throat> for almost 15 years. And... Um, we entered in one Sunday, and it just felt like this is where home was for us, and we've just never left. Um, and I love Jesus, and I love walking with Jesus with you guys.
2: My name is Joe, and um, I've been here almost two years. And um, I guess what I like about the vineyard is that it's small and intimate, and you can get to know everybody here and um, I appreciate uh, all the people that I've met here and their hearts and I just feel really comfortable here so thank you for helping me do that appreciate it
0: all righty. well let's start with a question for Erica here um, since your ministry and your context is in the realm of teenagers and young people who are in that kind of formative place in their journey um, what's something that our young people see in the world around them today that you think we, as a congregation, should be more aware of?
1: Hmm. Um, I think one thing is their concern, like the actual concern that they have for people and what they want to do to actually help humanity and not be so concerned about ideologies or theories or being right about how to go about doing things, but more so like they see people and they're like, no, like people actually need help right now. Uh, I think um, as adults sometimes when we're mature and wise, as we think that we are, we, I feel like we can get caught up in just wanting to be right about things. And I think that the teenagers um, really want to actually see an impact being made uh, in, in action and not just in
0: theory. It's a very important point. I appreciate that perspective. Joe, uh, you've come to know and serve many in our city, who uh, some who don't have homes or others that are struggling with very real poverty conditions and need, the likes of which many of us may never have experienced in our own life. Uh, can you tell us about the very first time you reached out uh, in that way. Were you nervous? Um, who was with you uh, as you began that journey? Who, who spoke encouragement to you? What were some wise words that you encountered the first time that you stepped out in that way?
2: Well, if I could, um, I'll go back. It's probably about eight and a half years that I became a believer and um, had some really good mentors. This is in uh, southern Arizona. And one of my mentors, in fact, the, the person who, with the Holy Spirit's help, led me to the Lord. Uh, he liked to go to Walmart, and uh, we would just get a shopping cart and put a couple things in it to make it look like we were actually shopping, but we were uh, actually evangelizing and, and praying for people's healings. <laughs> Pardon? You were efficient. Yeah, exactly. So we would... Um, focus on people in motorized carts because usually they have some sort of health issue and we would pray with them so that was my early education and then uh, when I moved here I was I didn't have that mentorship anymore so I wasn't quite sure what to do or where to go and I live up on Lake Boulevard so one night I was driving home and I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to pull in to the Shopco parking lot and I had noticed there were people on the streets in that area. So I pulled in behind Arby's, which isn't there anymore. Um, there's a little pond right there. And I ran across a gentleman uh, who was laying in the grass. This is like about 10 o'clock at night. So I was like, Holy Spirit, are you sure? You know, it's dark out. I don't really know anybody. And he, so usually when you, I resist, he's, he, he's pretty persistent. So uh <laughs> so I just pulled in and bought this young man a sandwich and started to converse with him. And so that was my first time out here in Reading. Yeah.
0: That's a great story. So I'll take one here that asks a question in a direction that I think is remarkable and unique. Um oftentimes the, the struggle is Why should I have to do anything if God is God? God can just do all the stuff, right? He can just take over. I shouldn't need to do anything. This question asks the opposite direction. Why should I pray to God for a change in my life when I'm the one who has to work and make the change happen? So that's like a question from extreme personal accountability. I I need to make a change. Uh, Why would I put that on God? Why would I ask God for that? Well, I think it's it's a great question. Um, I, I think as a starting point, I would say... Um, it has been the intention of God from the beginning, from the creation story itself. If you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and read that story, God has always desired that he would do life with us and we would do life with him. There's nothing I find in the word ever that would indicate that God really what God really wants is for you to be isolated and alone, uh, that there's some part of your life that he hopes you'll just be on an island by yourself and have no one with you. Um, and not just that he would have commu- human community with us, but that he would be a a partner with us in our life. Um, I think the imagery of the father uh, is great in that sense. I know not all of us had parents um, that exemplified loving mothers and fathers, but I think we hold in our hearts this instinctive vision of what we hope a loving father and a loving mother would look like. And surely part of that vision, and for those of you who are parents, I'm sure you feel this deeply inside of you, part of that vision is that your children would always know you're for them and you're with them whenever they encounter something, whenever they have work before them, that they would know they're not alone in that work, that they have parents that love them. And I think there's a part of God's heart that looks very much like that towards us. So there's always a cause to invite God into what we're doing, even if that work seems like it's our work to do. Uh, and he is gracious and generous in ways that just stagger the mind, even when it is rightly our work to do. He will be the wind at our backs, and He will offer these serendipitous divine appointments that just help us along the way. And oftentimes, those come in the form of relationships with other people, uh, people who've been there before us, people who know what it's like to do that work because they've done it in their life. Um, Why would we not reach out to God? Why would we not, like children, ask for all the help uh, that our loving Father would be happy to give us? So I think that's how I would answer that uh, question, at least initially. Another question for Erica here, uh, you dialogue with our, our teenagers on a number of topics. Uh, I'm, I, it's been my observation that you and John uh, are very open to just letting a conversation go where kind of they want to go. What's on their heart? What's heavy to them? What's pressing? What are some of the most interesting um, questions that you've been asked by, by teenagers, obviously protecting their privacy, but just in general? What are some of the topics you get asked about? Uh, one of the things that have left a mark on you uh, as a as a teacher, as you've listened to our, our teenagers ask questions in their journey of formation and, and their journey of life.
1: There's definitely a number. I'll, I'll say one of the one that I think about often that makes me chuckle is, do our parents, are our parents entitled to us obeying them? That one always makes me chuckle. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely an array of questions from just even, you know, figuring out and questioning God's existence um, to what it means to even, like, be alive, um, what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of sin. Um, but one of the things that we always... Uh, go to and as far as like we're journeying together with them is asking like the Holy Spirit and like any kind of question there's scripture and you know there's community and there's also the Holy Spirit and always that being um like the center of truth like what does the Holy Spirit say like we can ask him and he can give us wisdom um because we're all we're all learning we're all figuring these things out.
0: Joe, what would you just say to anybody in this congregation who isn't certain that they have anything to offer a ministry like yours, that there's no way they could make a meaningful difference? What sorts of things make a meaningful difference uh, as you see it? What what sorts of things might surprise us how important and effective they can be even though they may look small or insignificant to us?
2: Well, um, you know, there's a, there's a desire that God places in all of our hearts to be seen, to be heard, to be known. And um, some of the people that are stuck out there on the streets and stuck in addiction and homeless, and uh, even uh, that's not necessarily exclusive to them. I mean, we all kind of feel that way at times, but I think it's more um, intense or more uh, profound for them. Uh, So just the fact that, like I mentioned earlier, that, um, you know, you. Can walk up and have a conversation with somebody and buy them a hamburger, and um, it's just it's it's an odd thing how the Holy Spirit moves. It's still it's I'm not surprised, but I'm still in awe at how He moves when you just uh, step out and take a risk like that, and um, and how people who are hurt and broken and have put up walls around their hearts and are going about numbing their, their, their pain, um, how their wall, these walls start to come down mm-hmm. and how they're willing to share deep personal things and traumas and so on with you and then you're able to pray with them and um, encourage them. Uh, one of the questions when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask is, you know, how, did, how does that all work, Lord? Because it seems to happen frequently and it just seems, it, it, you know, it's it still, like I say, mystifies me to a certain extent. Um, but everybody here can can uh, love on whoever they're in company with, whether it's at work or here or at home or, um, you know, out on the street. Um, people are, um, you know, there's, there's such a, a lot of stuff going on in our world that people need encouragement, you know and um, you know you might think somebody's got it all together it might appear that way on the surface but um, just engaging in conversation and and without an agenda you know just the only agenda that i really think christ had was to love people and so if we can try to do that the best to the best of our ability i think that's when the whole the spirit begins to move
0: Um, I'm reminded as as you're sharing, I I, I need to not assume everybody in the room knows Joe. I know he was here with us last Sunday, but there are some new faces here. So Joe uh, and a number of other uh, people in our community um, participate in the Live, Laugh, Love Laundry uh, ministry we were talking about earlier in the announcements. Um, And as I was listening to Joe, I was reminded, one of the most humbling things about um, trying to take my first steps uh, into uh, that outward ministry to those in need in the city um, was realizing the things I didn't think would be impactful were the things that I just took for granted. So why, why would anything I take for granted mean anything to anybody else? Um, Joe's uh, laundry ministry is a great example of that. Um, I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, uh, before we came uh, to church today, we selected some clean clothes out of our closet full of clean clothes. Like this is something that we've had our whole entire life, and most of us have not and God willing won't ever know what it's like to not have that choice in front of them. What a th- what a remarkable thing we take for granted that if I get my clothes dirty today, I can go home and throw them in the laundry machine. And there are hundreds of people in our community who do not have that option. And what a difference it can make to be able to at last put on clean clothes. Uh, another even more perhaps fundamental thing I take for granted is that when I walk in a room, people make eye contact with me. They acknowledge my presence. But there are people in our community who are so, they, they have the experience of being uh, shunned by society. They, they feel like they're pariahs. People deliberately go out of their way to avoid them and not look at them and not make eye contact with them. That sometimes just being present with someone and acknowledging that they exist, just listening to the story and demonstrating that you're willing to include them in your day can be hugely impactful. And that costs zero dollars. That just takes a willingness to be presence. It's, it fits in the category of the ministry of presence which I think is one of the most underrated and underestimated ministries that every single person in this room is capable of doing today, just finding someone and being present with them in their life. All right, we are rapidly building up a number of questions here, so I need to catch up on these. One second here. Um, A question I'd be happy to hear from uh, you two on this as well. Why is it that sometimes God's healing in our life takes such a long time? You want to take a swing at that?
1: Um, I would say because we have a lifetime to walk with Jesus. Um, And just to reiterate what uh, Todd was saying earlier about uh, him wanting to partner with us. Um, I think sometimes um, as we get healed of things, um, they tend to come back up because, again, like we're, we're walking through life. We have triggers. Um, But I do think that there is purpose in those things happening, um, especially when it comes to God putting people on our path to minister to through what we're healing through. Um, And I think that that's also a part of how he transforms us by using our pain. A lot of the time I feel like our passions that we have come from the pain that we've had to live through. And I think Jesus um, likes to intertwine and work that with us Um, yeah I think that's how I would try and answer that
2: (laughs) Uh, the best way that I can think of to answer that would be that um, healing is a process you know it's like recovery is a process if you're you have an addiction or something of that nature Um, and in the process you you hopefully develop a better appreciation for the contrast between where you were and where you are and where you're going, um, I can give a personal example real quick i um, and uh, it's a little bit hard to to um, to share, but um, I had some uh, pretty intense abuse as a child, and um, I was after I became a believer, I started reliving some of that and it kept coming up and uh, I found myself, like, driving to work and just tears pouring down my face. And um, I was in the actually in the moment of those abuses. I could, like, see it and feel it and hear it, and all my senses were activated. And I cried out to God. I was like, why, why is this happening, you know? And he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to guide you on a path of healing. And it's going to take some time and in the process each time that you experience these memories and these traumas they're going to be less intense and of shorter duration and i'm going to take you to the other side and so i immediately said yeah okay i'll sign up for that you know um but i don't think god always wants to microwave our our problems you know he wants us to to sit in them and understand what the contrast is between where we were and where we, where he's going to take us, so that there'll be a deeper appreciation of it
0: I'm going to steal that, Joe. God doesn't always want to microwave our problems. I think that's beautiful. Um, I think what i we we'll, we'll, we will talk more about healing this year, I'm certain. Um, I think one thing I would add to that is it kind of goes back to the first question we were asked. God wants to do all of life with us, even the healing parts with us, which means we have a part to do in that. Um, I I can't remember the last time I saw. I don't think this exists in California anymore. But when I was growing up, every other gas station had a full-service lane. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember what that was like. Yeah, and it was super cool. You, you felt like you were a rich person. You'd pull in, and somebody would come to you, and they would fill up your gas tank, and they would clean your windows, and they would check your fluids, and it was just like this amazing like white glove service. Um, I think sometimes we, we can conceive of the healing that God does as a full service lane, um, where God just will do it all for us, and we just sit back, and he does his thing, and then we come out the other side sparkling. But I would say there's a lot of the necessary healing that goes in our life that involves us. That it, even the healing is a journey that we walk out with God. And God is very merciful and patient with us. And and even though He desires more than any of us that we would be whole and well, He knows when and how to do this with us. If, if a, a particular healing journey is 100 steps, He knows exactly when each of those steps need to happen. And sometimes we're not ready for some of those steps, and he's gentle with us in that. Some of those steps involve other people. And so those other people need to be ready and in a position for God to work on us together relationally. I I, I think we can can try to oversimplify what healing must look like. Um, But, you know, the Lord is faithful and he's gentle with us, and it's not just that he knows what to do but he knows exactly when to do it. Uh, And oftentimes the harder part of faith is not believing that God can, but but holding out for when he will. You know, when that will happen can be the harder leap of faith, I think, sometimes. Another question here that's a brilliant question. Um, uh, We have a lot of really good questions from our congregation. Is it wrong to be happy or content in God, even with all the things wrong in the world? And see, instead of being filled with a constant uh, sense of duty or wanting uh, or discontentedness man that is such a that is such a good question. I think uh, on either side of that lies a pitfall, right? Um, you can just be oblivious to the world, just fill the joy your stuff is your needs are being met, and so who cares about anything else that 's a problem, uh, or on the other side, you can um, you can drop your joy and your hope in the Lord because somebody is suffering, and so therefore there can't be joy or hope in the world. Well, that's not what God's asking of us either. So to answer the question, yes. Um, but uh, the answer to that question, I think, depends on our conception of the joy and the, and the happiness that God is calling us to. Uh, and I chose those two words because it, it's possible, I, I believe philosophically, it's possible to have joy in your life and yet be unhappy about certain things. That may seem like a contradiction, but there is a deep, like woven into our DNA place of joy that is able to persist even in difficult times. It's the joy that is not brittle. It doesn't shatter easily. It can endure the storm. It's a deep uh, thing. And that's what God, I think, is stirring within us and creating within us. And that's grounded not in our circumstance or anyone else's circumstances. That's grounded in the faithfulness of who God is, which never changes. That's good news. That foundation doesn't change. Uh, and so our joy in the Lord, our hope in the Lord never has to change, but we can still carry, you know, a righteous indignation or a discontentedness in terms of not being, you know, happy that the person next to us is suffering or not being happy that the world doesn't seem to notice some of these things that need attention. It is possible to do both things. And in fact, I think it's important to do both of those things. Uh, otherwise, you become driven uh, by discontentedness and fear and anxiety, uh, and you lose that foundation altogether. You, you, it becomes impossible for you to have joy and peace unless everything is just perfectly arranged uh, around you, which is not, you know, the way God is calling us to live our life. So great, great, great question. Uh, probably for all times, but certainly um, for this time. Another question, um, and this may have to be our last one for today. Wow, it went by fast. Um, why is it so hard sometimes to actually do the outward part of our journey? The upward part may be intuitive, and the inward part may feel safe and, and somewhat simple by comparison. What makes it hard to just turn around and step into the world uh, and live it out in the midst of strangers uh, or live it out when our reputation is on the line when we don't have all the safety nets that come in inward? Well, I'm probably halfway answering the question. But anyway, pretend I didn't say any of that. What makes that hard, Erica?
1: Um, I think um, probably rejection to some extent. Um, Not even so much rejection of Jesus, but even just rejection of ourselves. Uh, And then also probably just second-guessing what we're supposed to be doing and feeling like we don't know where to start. Um, I think that we can overcomplicate how to do the outward part, but I also think it's very easy to overcomplicate it. Um, I like like Joe's, um, his testimonies of like the things that he did and uh, that it was just, he just basically was being obedient to what he felt the Lord was doing and it was just, here is a burger and let's chat. And I think sometimes maybe we have these grandiose ideas of like, this is what it means to like, work. we have to be Mother Teresa and we have to do all these things, but... Um, really like you also said we just can just start with being present and uh, I think that and I'm talking to myself too because I always have my ideas of like this is how I want it to look Um, how does God want it to look he literally he walked around and he talked with people Um, so I think it's just getting out of our head is what makes maybe it hard
2: yeah you know for me I attended a, a thing at Bethel a couple of years ago. My co-leader is a big Irwin McManus fan and I somehow got invited to uh, attend and he talked about how our inner circle, it's really easy to like sit around a Christian living room with a nice warm fire and pat each other on the back and pray for each other and tell each other um, you know, how good we're doing and there, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. That's great. Um, but the f- the fear of the unknown the risk of stepping out and talking to somebody that you've never met before and or um you know some of the stories you may hear about um people that are addicted to methamphetamine or or you know there's some there's some people out there that they've they've got mental health issues they've got substance issues and so it's kind of unpredictable so it's it, it, it is kind of scary or risky sometimes, but from my perspective, I got the greatest insurance policy in the world, you know. So, um, so, and the the crazy, unexpected thing is that is that you go out and you 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 plan on blessing people, you plan on praying with people, you plan on watching uh, here seeing people's lives be changed and transformed and be set free and all these wonderful things, and um, God is just so good. He just turns around and blesses you so much more in return that, um, you know, I've healed so much from different things in my life just from doing the things that that we're talking about here. And, um, you know, it wasn't my expectation, but it's how he works, you know. So I'm just really grateful that he allows us to be part of what he's doing, you know, and to— and and that he's partners with us and protects us along the way and that we get to witness these things, you know, and we get to hear people share personal things that, you know, I've had people tell me things that they said they've never told a single soul before. And I'm like, what a privilege. Oh my gosh. You know? And, and yeah. So anyway, I, I'll just stop there. I could go on, but, uh, you just to
1: add one. Yeah, please, please. I just, I was thinking of something when, when Joe was talking that if, um, if you are in a situation where you're like I don't know where to start, and you're and you live somewhere, then maybe maybe one of the first steps could be literally to just get to know one, like a neighbor. That's good.
0: It's yeah. good. Sean asked a really like it was, fell on me like a sack of bricks at the time. This must have been six seven years ago. Um, Sean asked the congregation, well, "Do you know the names of your four nearest neighbors? Just your four nearest neighbors. Do you know all their names? Now some will." I did not at the time, and it just devastated me that I had all these lofty ideas of saving the world. And I don't know who's next door to me. Like, that's kind of a bummer. Um, one final thought here, I, uh, a dear friend and, and retired Episcopal priest um, named Dave uh, once took me aside. He said, Todd, we've got, a, we've got an upside-down vision in a bad way of what church is all about. We, in our culture, we've developed this vision that uh, the people of the congregation come to church in support of the ministry of the pastors. Church is about the pastors doing ministry and the people come to benefit from and support that. And he said it's exactly the opposite of that. The whole point and purpose of the church is that 99% of the ministry arm is right out here. 99% of the work of the kingdom that will get done in our city by this community is done by you. The pastors and the clergy are here to support you because you're the ones who will step out into the world, and you're the ones who will bring the light of Jesus into people's lives. And our job is to help support you in your ministry. So in that, in that spirit, and again, as an example of why we went after this series to begin the year, um, what can we be doing as a congregation to support you and John uh, as you minister to our young people? Where can we be helpful or present for you?
1: Um, <clears throat> prayer, of course. But um, actually, this, past Monday um, me and one of my youth girls uh, we were doing a practice with uh, one of our friends in church Kylie and after we were practicing we went out and just had like a little date and I thought to myself like I am lucky I get to have really close relationship with the youth in our church they're like in the extension of our kids but it made me think like that's how cool is it that one of my teens is now getting to know another adult in church that maybe she hadn't known before and the importance of, as they grow up in the church, um, since, you know, for the most part, we're we're downstairs all the time, having like those connections, like maybe me doing like one-on-one with my teen girls and then maybe sometimes bringing along a friend from church so that when they are adults in church, they're like, who are all these adults? It's like, no, I've built a relationship with them. So just coming alongside the teens as well as we're all in this community together, I think would be a really rich experience for them.
2: Um, Well, first, I I would really like to thank all the people here that um, have supported uh, our ministry in any way, shape, or form. Just this morning, a couple people, uh, one person has been to uh, Laundry Day once and the other person has not, but they just came up to me this morning and said they'll be there tomorrow. And there's several people here who have volunteered, and um, it's just amazing to watch how it all works. You know, I watch Kylie cut in hair. And sometimes I walk by as I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and I over- overhear part of the conversation, and I'm just like, whoa, you know. She's ministering to these young ladies and young and people in general. Um, the, the thing we can use the most would be especially tomorrow while we're there. Um, I usually get there about 8, and I usually leave around 2 or 3, um, is prayer. Because what happens is we're taking territory we 're taking ground, and we 're stepping into um, what the enemy considers his his territory you know he 's got to hold on people and they're they're in some of them, many of them are in chains and in bondage, and so every once in a while um, that manifests you know something uh, that 's not of God begins to manifest there, and we have to um confront it. And we have to deal with it in love. And and sometimes we even have to join together and stop everything that we're doing and and, uh, pray together and and just say no. So tomorrow between, say, eight and two or three o'clock, if anybody would be willing to pray uh, for what we're doing there and pray for protection and guidance and uh, Holy Spirit help for us, that would be wonderful. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you both so much uh, for being with us here today uh, and for sharing from your journey. Can we give them a applause and thank you. All right. All right, we're going to move the chairs off. (laughs) All righty. Well, we're going to have some people up here up front um, at the end of the service if you'd like prayer, Um, if you have questions uh, beyond uh, what we got to today. um, Yeah, if there's anything we can do to bless you or pray with you here today for healing or anything else. Uh, Please feel free to come up forward. We're going to have communion uh, now together Uh, as a community. We do this every Sunday uh, in remembrance of Jesus as he taught us, but also as an invitation to a very real uh, encounter uh, with the Spirit of God uh, in this sacrament. This has been done well, it was taught by Jesus himself uh, before uh, his passion and crucifixion and resurrection. He actually instructed his disciples uh, to take this time together um, to gather around the remembrance of him Uh, In his sacrifice, we have uh, two of the simplest elements on earth, you know, just bread and fruit, essentially, uh, in the wine. Um, These are things that rich people and poor people alike through history have had, bread and fruit. Um, And so we'll take the cracker as we come forward, and we'll dip it in the wine, and then we'll take it back with us in the outer aisles. And then once everybody has the elements, we'll partake together as a family. Um, So if you're a follower of Jesus or would like to start today, please feel free to come down the center aisle and uh, take the elements. Well, God, we, um, we thank you that um, in the grand scheme of things, in the final analysis, um, it is true, and we will know it more and more, um, that you did the heavy lifting for us. In every way, in every context, in every moment, you have taken the lion's share on your own shoulders. That the things you ask of us are so simple by comparison, and that even in those things that are possible for us, you are with us and eager to help us do those things that you have given to us. Thank you for those things that only you could have done. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son for our sake and his resurrection and that he snatched death out of the jaws of the enemy for our sake. God, that he uh, stood in our place and took all our sins on himself, Lord. Um, We thank you for that. Help us to better understand these things and to see the magnitude of your love through them in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'd all stand, I'd just love to pronounce a blessing over everybody uh, before we leave. Father God, I pray that you would go uh, with these, your your ministers, your representatives of your kingdom, Lord, as they step out into the mission field, which is right outside these doors. Father God, help them to see with your eyes those people that you have put in their path who are in need of their presence and their love and their compassion, God. Help them to see the needs of our city, Reading that would be so perfectly filled by the the gifts and the provision, the resources, the strengths, the wisdom, and the presence of these, your people. Father God, and make us bold. Grant us courage and wisdom to step out according to your will, uh, according to your timing, and in your way, Father God, uh, to meet those needs for the sake of the world and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.